Hello and welcome to Justice Losers, uh. the most unqualified podcast talking entertainment news and reviews. I'm your host, Preston, joined as always by my Belchy co-host. Batmat. You had a Burp Matt? Belch Matt, Bat Burp Matt. Matt, yeah. what do people do? Like, subscribe, and tell a friend. And say excuse me when you burp. Excuse me. <laughs> Manners, sir. Indeed. Matters. Eh. Manners maketh Matt. Matt, what you been up to? Some some things, You've some stuff. Things. It, it, also, yeah this this has been my first week where I have been largely in control of my schedule. <laughs> um, it was a good feeling. I was fairly productive, although part of my productivity was, uh, you know, cleaning out the apartment and creating space for all of the new wedding stuff we got. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've actually been doing some things. Uh, I've continued reading Lord of the Rings. I don't really have a meaningful update on that, but I'm significantly farther in. Um, I'm about halfway through the two towers. Um, I have, I started Seinfeld. Seinfeld? Yeah. Oh, that's a show that happened. Yeah, it is a show that happened. It's one I figure I should watch for cultural enrichment. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, uh, sitcoms, I feel like... a lot of the big ones that have been in the past 20 or 30 years or so, um, I have seen little bits and pieces, either just a standalone clip or a little bit over someone else's shoulder. And that's kind of told me whether or not I'm going to enjoy it and should watch it. Um, the little bits of how I met your mother that I saw over Hannah's shoulder the first time she watched it, uh, I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. and I thoroughly enjoyed the show the first two times I've watched it through. Mm -hmm. Um, the little bits of Gilmore girls, just to pick a, different example it's not really a sitcom i enjoyed that mm-hmm. um the little clips i've seen of the office were pretty good and i mostly enjoyed the office um all-time great tv tv villain michael scott <laughs> he's so good that he convinced everyone else he's the hero of the show yeah. um friends does nothing for me i've never seen a friend's clip that i was i've seen someone i'm like oh okay that's a little reference i can make pivot yeah or whatever but i haven't seen one where i've been like oh this is enjoyable this is something right. that i would like to sit down and watch yeah. seinfeld I'm the same way mm-hmm. seinfeld i've seen little bits and pieces and i'm like oh this looks enjoyable something i can watch and usually with these kinds of shows there's a little bit of a ramp up but i really enjoyed the first episode yeah it's funny it's about nothing just what i want pretty sure that's one of those shows that like there is a heavy jump the shark moment Probably. You know what jump the shark means? Yeah. Okay. Because you didn't know what flanderization means, so I feel like it's a 50-50 on if you know like those kinds of terms. I feel like flanderization is a little more technical. Jump the shark is something that just gets used in culture, but flanderized, not so much. I guess that's true. That's more of a Well, I feel like a lot of people, like, there's two meanings to jump the shark. Mm. Like, jump the shark in life is more of, like, doing the risky move and, like, a success will be great. Like, that kind of thing. That's not an actual thing. I mean, like... No one says that. I feel like it. I've heard it used in that sense. I've heard it used in the sense that's not what it means in a show. There isn't a sense in what it means, because it comes from a show. Right, but it's like, it's used now as a, uh, as like a, a moment in shows. So, okay. For people who don't to explain what jumping the shark means is it's reference back to the font like was it happy days happy, ta- happy days uh and there's a moment in the show 
where it's the Fonz mm-hmm. literally jumping a shark. Like he's like on a jet ski or on, on water skis mm-hmm. and he jumps over a shark tank. And it was at that moment he knew he fucked up. No, it was uh, <laughs> basically uh, it was the, it was basically that's the identified a moment that happy days t- just became a bad show they ran out of ideas they ran out of ideas and what can we like, do oh we can have the funds he can jump the shark it'll be so wicked cool why yeah. am i doing this in the boston accent <laughs> <laughs> uh and, and like since then the show is bad and so there are a lot of shows that and so that phrase jumping the shark has been used to reference a point that a show is drastically changed not necessarily that it is bad that like just the show identity is changed. Okay. Usually it's meant to be bad. Because I always heard it as the show has run out of ideas and it's continuing past its expiration date. It's not always bad. Um, Interesting. There are examples. I can't list examples of shows. One of us has been using this wrong our entire life. <laughs> Wait. Well, oh, okay. Are you saying you have? One of us has. One of us has. I'm getting mine from uh, explanation from movie people or show people like okay. nerd nostalgic or something i think it was one of them um they don't trust him <laughs> <laughs> yes you do don't you love him or nerd writer no yeah nerd nostalgic those are the- two different people <laughs> ah they're the same kind of thing though anyway <laughs> like scrubs jumped the shark mm-hmm. at one point like in like season six um Grey's Anatomy jumped the shark about two years before it actually started airing. <laughs> uh, so oh, snap. Boom. Got him. And I feel I think I've heard that Seinfeld jumps the shark. Wouldn't shock somewhat me. Somewhat late. Like mm-hmm. it's one of those that goes wild. Yeah. I mean, it's it's had a lot of cultural relevance and um, has its own, I think, things that have entered into the pop culture. This is exciting for me because this is a show that's far enough back that probably the things that were remembered for it have just kind of settled into the cultural ethos uh-huh. and I'll pick up things. And I'll be like, is that where this came from? Yeah. Like, uh, in ghostbusters, I think that's where the phrase biblical proportions comes from. Yeah. Which it seems like something that's just kind of existed forever, but then you watch ghostbusters and you're like, huh? Yeah. And then you look it up and you're like, probably it was never used before that. Probably. Except for, I love seeing trends of where they like show Google search or like mentions mm-hmm. of like phrases and stuff. And mm-hmm. it, like it starts in like 1990 something, except there's this one giant spike in like 1472 for some reason of Google searches, not Google search, like refer, <laughs> like mentions in things. Oh, and yes. so that includes like archival stuff. Twerk. <laughs> and, yeah. Like something <laughs> like that where like twerk was used in like, 1610 and so it's just like mm-hmm. a picture of these like people in the 1600s with their butts out <laughs> it's funny uh I'm, I'm losing my mind a little bit oh yeah continue clearly. seinfeld it's seinfeld fun. it's good first episode yeah. it's fun and good we'll kind of see how it goes oh you're only on the first episode yeah okay <laughs> but i'm announcing that i have begun it and i'm intrigued uh people should let us know on social media what i should think about seinfeld tell me my opinions yeah this is a good and responsible way to consume media, right? Yep. That always, just to go on a little bit of a tangent, that always irks me a little bit. You know, when people um, kind of look to you, and not to, to me individually or you individually, but look to the other people in the group to decide how they should feel about something. You know, they come out of a movie 
um, and you kind of you're going around the circle and the the group kind of settles on an opinion. Have you ever had that? I know exactly what you're talking about. And two things. Okay. One, uh, and there are two different situations. So one, a person individually looking for other people's opinions to know how they feel. Right. Um, can either be just a uh, confrontation avoidant person who's just afraid to be too afraid to stick out. That's true. That's true. A lot true. of things, a and lot I of can... psychological things that we could dig in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can, I can appreciate that. But also if it's someone who wants to be a critical thinker or critical consumer, mm-hmm. it's so, honestly, it's something I did for a while and still kind of do where I look at critics and like, I'm like, tell me how I should feel mm-hmm. because it's like, what are other people seeing? Mm-hmm. And can I see it through their eyes mm-hmm. and see it through their opinions? And how can viewing that movie through their opinions expand my ability to consume a movie? Remember when I convinced you that you didn't like Spider-Man Far From Home? Remember when I convinced myself <laughs> over the course? That was, I still can't get over that. Like At the beginning, I was like, this that was a good movie. And then I'm like, boy. <laughs> The whole time I was like, this is a pretty good movie. Yeah. And you just kind of, boom. <laughs> <laughs> From way above you to way below. No, I just like, but that's something that like, uh, I have actively sought out other people's opinions and wanted mm-hmm. to like see no, how. No, yeah. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm like, it's, it is important to get other people's oh, opinions yes. and kind of so collaborate on. But that's, that's an individual who does that. Mm-hmm. A group who settles on that is literally a psychological phenomenon called groupthink mm-hmm. that I don't want to be. It's not that I don't want to disagree with one person. It's that I don't want to be the person that sticks out from the group. Mm-hmm. And so everyone just kind of settles into one thing because they don't want to be the sore thumb. Yep. That happens. Yeah. And that's why I think, like, review conversations should are better suited one-on-one. This is also... It's easier mm-hmm. to conflict with one-on-one than if, like, yep. if you and I were here and we also had Hannah and Kaylin here, mm-hmm. like... I wouldn't want to be the only person that has a different opinion from the three. I would actively want to be the only person. I guess that those has are a bad examples. If we had a lot of <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and group opinion kind of ends up being defined by the first per- first person to speak up. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that is just a you know someone says something and everyone's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Boy, this movie was terrible. Let's yeah. boycott it. Go ask for a money back. Well, I think there's also, I wonder, uh, an element of, like, I say my opinions, and my opinions are based on these aspects of the movies that I noticed. Mm -hmm. And you've had time to settle into those opinions, and there's kind of like a half-life about an opinion of something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, they've had, I mean, let's say a couple days to settle into that. This is my opinion of this movie based on the criteria things that I saw. Mm -hmm. And they talk to somebody, and they bring up their opinions that's the opposite opinion, based on different ideas that mm-hmm. they experience and so while person a's opinion a has sort of like half-life decayed and settled mm-hmm. this new different idea has come in and kind of like overshadows their old idea mm-hmm. and so it like switches them immediately because like oh yeah and at that exact moment this new idea is the fresh and big and exciting idea and they cling on to that. And so mm-hmm. they're will- more willing to agree with that over their own. I did that to you mere moments ago with Rogue One. I persuaded you that no, you should see it again. over time, I have like, well, no, <laughs> here we go. Over time, that half-life of my, of my opinion of it has mm-hmm. kind of like, 
that my my opinion of it has kind of like decayed and settled into this Mm -hmm. like should i not like it can i can i jump in here for a second because you're not allowed to talk in this (laughs) you're in charge no let me uh, um because i i feel like you are very good about thinking about what you know and what you believe and what you don't know and what you don't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're willing to challenge your own opinions when they do wear off with that half-life. But I feel like for a lot of people, they kind of, they settle into, Oh, I don't like rogue one. And that just becomes an established fact mm. in the back of their memory. And if someone says, Oh, rogue one's a pretty good movie. You should enjoy it. They're like, no, nah, it's a bad movie. And they can't even put a specific finger on it, right. but it's just, it's kind of locked into their little facts about themselves. Yeah. I think a lot of people, experience things that way because that's true frankly we're just better at thinking about stuff than other people no <laughs> honestly i think we are i, I we will have, actually claim that we have more experience thinking critically about things and a, a big part of that is kind of challenging our own opinions yeah. and trying to understand what it is that makes us like and appreciate and mm-hmm. um recognize the objective quality of things Art is a had to had to sneak that in there. <laughs> you son of a bitch. But no, I, I think that, that that is very true. Like that's how I was able to far from home myself. Mm-hmm. Is that like I'm and why I it's kind of become a recurring joke to me. I don't know if it's a recurring joke to like listeners or gauge or you mm-hmm. that like my opinion on anything five episodes apart can be wildly different mm-hmm. and it's not because like i have an opinion and like that's my solid opinion it's like mm-hmm. how i feel at any given moment based on whatever i'm like observing mm-hmm. and like i just don't cement my ideas which i don't know if it's like a bad thing but i also don't know if it's like a good thing because i'm much more susceptible to group think because i like what i like to challenge my own ideas mm-hmm. by taking in more ideas mm-hmm. which can then lead me to just being this like uh like accepting of the general opinions mm-hmm. yeah unless i don't get good reason for contradicting opinion mm-hmm. like where someone's just like i don't like it uh like unless it directly conf- conflicts with like so like let's say uh last jedi i like the way that luke is portrayed mm-hmm. because of certain reasons of like why i think that yes. him having time to think about the flaws of the jedi mm-hmm. the people are like i hate it because Luke should be should worship the Jedi, and I'm like stupid green milk. Yeah, I'm like that is a direct conflict to my rational understanding of what I think of this movie. Mm-hmm. And this is and because so no. <laughs> this is because it's something you've thought through yep. and you have consolidated it actively. You yep. have gone out of your way to say this is an opinion I hold. These are the reasons I hold it. Mm-hmm. You and can it you can challenge that, but I'm going to lock this in. Yeah, and even then, like even if I got if someone were able to like explain to me how Luke shouldn't be like that, which thus far nobody has, I have sought out someone. He's supposed like, to march out there with his laser sword and yeah. take down the whole first order. <laughs> if someone could convince me that that's the way Luke shouldn't be, then my, my opinion might shift a little bit, but someone write us a, an email, just at gmail.com. Explain why Preston is wrong about Luke's character arc and, Star Wars The Last Jedi. And I will immediately debunk you because that's one of those things that I've yet to have somebody convince me otherwise. Someone's gonna, Same thing with GIF. <laughs> someone's going to write you a novella punctuated with many gifts. Many gifts. <laughs> <laughs> I said many gifts. 
I genuinely thought that's what you said, and now I'm just like, ha, ah, see, it doesn't make sense because I, I give up. What a this is not what you've been up to. This is this has been like four tangents deep. Yeah, <laughs> having it's a good fun. It's a good content episode about like <laughs> what makes us different from other podcasts. Didn't we already have this discussion? Probably. <laughs> Anything else you've been up to? Yes, I finished season two of Mister Robot, season which means two. I am caught up with what I had seen before. Season two is interesting. It is better in some ways and worse in some ways. Okay. Um, so it does the thing that a lot of uh, second seasons do is that it adds a bunch more characters and a bunch more plot lines and kind of complicates things. Mm-hmm. And usually that goes very badly. Uh, Mr. Robot pulls it off pretty well, I think, because mm-hmm. most of the characters it adds are sympathetic or at least interesting. Um, and because most of the plot lines it adds add to the sense of overarching mystery Mm. um the first season is pretty focused on it's just elliot and he's gonna hack e-corp and there's the people around him and there's interesting character stuff and um things going on but there's never more than some very subtle hints that something else is going on behind the scenes Mm. season two starts to pull that back a little bit you still have no idea what's going on but it is now very clear that there is something much bigger behind the scenes at work. Mm -hmm. Now this concerns me uh, just to take a side note here, because almost all the time when there's something bigger behind the scenes at work, it turns out to be nonsense. And it's just an annoying deus ex machina thing at the end of the show. Yeah. Um, And the start of season three, I'm like two episodes in is kind of starting to reveal where they're aiming with it. And I'm like, I have a lot of goodwill built up towards this show because it's done a lot of things right so far, but also uh, I don't know about that. Mm. <laughs> um, but I'm still invested in the characters. I'm still invested in uh, the good cinematography and the interesting writing and all of the things it's doing right. Yeah. Um, one of the weaknesses of season two is it kind of doesn't know what to do. It's a little unfocused. So it spends its first half completely burning one of its uh, entire plot threads Hmm. on a basically just a nonsense parlor trick. Okay. It's not very interesting. It's not very helpful for character development. It's more of just a ha 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 ha. We gotcha. Yeah. Now back to the main story. Hmm. Um, it, yeah, it, it doesn't really it doesn't kill the show. It just kills the momentum yeah. for a little while. But it's it's able to pick it back up and it's able to use the other plot lines to um, generate some more suspense and uh, yeah. direction in the show. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's still interesting. It's still the sort of thing I think that you would enjoy quite a bit. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to step out into new stuff that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, season three is interesting. It's a lot grittier in some sense um the actions are starting to really have consequences and the world is starting to get messy Mm -hmm. which is really fun that they're actually the stakes are being paid off yeah um so the end of season one kind of instigates a an event and you continue to see the fallout of that and it continues to kind of escalate which is really cool and then yeah they're doing more interesting character stuff and again, starting to peel back layers of the overarching underlying mystery, which I'm nervous about, let's say. But they've done a lot of things right so far. So we'll kind of see how it goes. They're going to ruin it all. It wouldn't all shock seasons, me. Right? Four. Four seasons. So what happens if they like spoil it or like they kind of 
reveal it all at the end of season three. Honestly, I kind of hope they do because then season four is going to be real weird. Yeah. And I'm here for it. All right. Anything else? No, that's pretty much it. All right. What do you got? Whoo! So I finished the Honorable Schoolboy. Hey! Finally. How is it? Honorable? That's good. School word boy worthy? <laughs> uh, it's kind of chaotic towards the end. Okay. Um, <sighs> do explain. I don't know how. <laughs> oh. Well, that fell flat. It, uh... It's kind of intended to do it, but basically this entire, so the, the entire thing is to find out one person who one person is that is a person that works for the big bad Carla, mm-hmm. who is the Russian bad guy. Mm-hmm. Find out who that person the big, is. Big bad evil guy. Huh? Big bad evil guy. Big bad evil guy. That's the BBEG. Go Be big. Dungeons and Dragons lore, or language. Um... Did you know that KGB created Dungeons and Dragons to insinuate its uh, satanic elements into the American popular culture and break it down from the inside? Okay, Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Or Q. (laughs) Um, So it's basically like this whole thing to try to find this person. And like... I really can't explain because it spoils pretty much the entirety of it. Characters like all these, all of the characters who have worked towards the same goal have now reached a point where their goals are slightly different enough that at the goal line, those differences are exposed. Uh, I really like that actually. And so, like, right at the end, everybody turns on each other a little bit. Mm hmm. And it's just complete chaos. Um, that feels like the sort of thing that probably happened a lot in actual espionage yeah. in the Cold War, which is why Le Carre. Le Carre. Le Carre. Le, 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 le Crayon. Le Croix. Le... <laughs> John Le Croix. Uh, why Le Croix uh, wrote it like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and it makes sense. The It's, it's stuff that's been played on from the beginning mm-hmm. um character a has new developed feelings for character b and causes their motivations towards the end to pivot uh, mm-hmm. characters c and d who have been like uh making deals with each other while character e and f are like working with character d and character g and h are working with character c and a character has noticed then another character did something that's a little iffy, which kind of questioned him, and he never had a chance to mention it to boss character. And, like, right at the end, it all just starts, like, coming apart um, to the conclusion of characters you didn't expect to, to be dead. Uh, certain characters you didn't expect to be the ones that came out on top to be the ones out on top. Characters, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, like, absolute smattering of where you expected it to go um all right which leads into the third book of carla of the carla trilogy and i'm excited to see where that goes which one's that one called again uh smiley's people 
Smiley's people. Which is so much recontextualized from the beginning of this book to the end of this book. Like what happens at the end of this book, Smiley's people means something completely different. And I, I'm excited to see what happens now, mm-hmm. but also reading two Lucari books back to back when you're like still learning kind of how to handle reading mm-hmm. is so much. And I need to take a break. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so the break I'm taking is I'm reading, uh, where the crawdads sing that. How did you know that? I know many things. Oh, also you were at my house. Also, I, I was at your house and you I explained it. told you that. Yeah. Uh, Kaylin has wanted me to read this book. It is apparently a really widely loved book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted her to play. Video- I've been wanting to her to play video games either with me or just, I don't know why I just oh, want to don't watch corrupt the innocence of her soul. Um, and she made the deal with me that when I read that, she will play video games. Okay. So it's shot to the top of my list. I'm about a quarter of the way through it already. Mm-hmm. Not particularly a dense read. Boy, does it start sad. So, Good. Basically, this book is... I will probably have it done by the time... I will almost certainly have it done by the time we record next. You got some road trip in ahead of you, don't you? Well, except I'll be driving most of the time because Kayla does not She can read it to you. No, I don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Follows two plot threads. One set in 1952 and the other... And progressing and one set in 1969. Nice. Uh, and so it alternates between the two of them. Uh, the 1952 one is Young Kaya. Kia? Kaya. I read it as Kaya. K-Y-A. Kaya. Kaya. Um, she is a, God, what, six-year-old? I think starts as a four-year-old. Okay. Like toddler. And all within like, I think the way I read it, it was like a week. Uh, her mother left mm-hmm. and so they're all they so she lives in the swamp like they are out in like the bayous swamp people um whenever they go into town they like look down on them they're like you're like swamp trash that mm-hmm. kind of like um her mom leaves uh makes it pretty clear that her mom's leaving because her dad is abusive and mm-hmm. a drunk pa mom leaves then um for the same reason her oldest three siblings all leave Mm -hmm. very soon after and then her only remaining older sibling leaves very soon thereafter oh and so it's her stuck with her abusive father and basically nobody to help take care of her and she's like five and then she gets in a lab accident and dies but her essence is subsumed into some plants that think they're still her yeah swamp thing reference uh it is so depressing um like it's like the leavings happen in the first half of the first chapter Ooh. and then it's just like three chapters of her just like being alone and like trying to make friends with a bird that like that and it's like it does a really good job of just making you feel alone mm-hmm. like the only other person she has is her pa who just disappeared for like multiple days and it just starts so depressing. Uh, good. It gets less depressing. <laughs> Aw. Um, I do like a good depressing story. Well, it's like it's like a satisfying less depressing. Uh, it's like the kind of thing where this abusive drunk pa 
smiles and takes her fishing out of like like the and mm-hmm. like it's they I'm assuming it's gonna be a lot of like her relationship with her father growing, and then there's this one other character that they have met um mm-hmm. but it's her trying to figure out the world on her own with like nobody to give her anything and so she mm-hmm. like travels into the city and is experiencing all these people who like harbor this resentment towards her and her family but she doesn't really understand it mm-hmm. totally well and so it's like big world little girl mm-hmm. and does a really good job of like portraying that okay and then it goes to the next chapter where it's like 1969 and uh a uh a guy has shown up dead Mm. and from the get-go the sheriff is like this is really suspicious uh he fell from like a walk path up but uh there are no footprints anywhere including to the steps you Mm -hmm. would at least see footprints to the steps you'd expect um and also everything is squeaky clean up there there's no fingerprints and everything so like somebody covered something up Mm-hmm. That's all I know. And it's like in the first chapter. I'm not going to spoil anything else. Okay. Also, I don't really know anything else. I'm not that far into Good it. Good start. Good start. Um, and so I'm really interested to see how these two collide. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Like the, the years of the Kaya storyline are progressing a lot faster. So like after about five chapters, it goes from like 1952 to like 1956. Mm-hmm. So like it's her growing up. Mm-hmm. Um and 1969, always obviously, like, it's a, probably going to be maybe a year passes of them, like, investigating. Sure, just the like, fixed detective story. Is it, like, did Kaya do it? Did this other guy that Kaya met do it? Did, like, like it, you're starting to, like, meet, you meet the characters that exist in 1969 as, like, just people around the town. Mm-hmm. But from her perspective, it's, like, these big, like, scary city people. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, the same people. And it's... Interesting. Um, like in the second chapter she's like going into a shop and uh a, a character like runs across her or something like that and, <laughs> bless you a character like runs across her and like there's this whole exchange of like and like he almost knocks a woman over and she's like yelling at them and like screams her name and that kid is the guy who was murdered ah uh-huh. and so it's like that whole cross thing and like there's so much i'm excited to see where it goes um i've heard good things it's it's very different from what i have read Mm -hmm. because what i do read requires a lot of world building and it's like a lot bigger and stuff like that this is a much smaller scale book Mm -hmm. for me um but it also like it reads more into the emotions of the mind than many of the other books i've read like Dune doesn't really do much of the emotions of like of Paul. Like it does he does deal with like stuff sure. like struggles and stuff, but it's never like I don't know. Yeah, its themes it's different. are different. Yeah. They're bigger picture. Yeah. And so it's definitely something like a, a good break of pace before I get to Smiley's people. Mm-hmm. Which I hope is smaller. Uh Honorable Schoolboy's a big book. Mm-hmm. It's like 600 pages and it's Lacare dense, like Dang. <laughs> an espionage and also uh, a British person writing with British language and stuff. So it's like sometimes it gets to be a little bit of a chore to read just because things are different. But yeah, I also watched Gladiator. <gasps> Finally, Gladiator. I hardly knew her. 
That's not how that goes. <laughs> Glad he ate her. You should hate that she that he ate her. That's another version of the joke. Anyway, I've been needing to see it for a long time. I've heard a lot about it. It's one of those movies that like like Caitlin was like, I've never heard about it, and I'm like, You definitely come across it. Like there's the Are You Not Entertained line. Dang it, you shouldn't have said that because I was gonna be like, Were you not entertained? <laughs> but um you so you ruined it. Still right? It was my first R rated movie. Okay, good. So here's the thing. One, definitely Hans Zimmer wrote the exact same soundtrack for Pirates of the Caribbean. Klaus Badelt wrote the soundtrack for Pirates of the Caribbean. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. Who did? Klaus Badelt. No. Hans Zimmer came in and cleaned it up for him. The suspicion is that Zimmer rewrote a lot of it, but I don't think so. Because it's like the same soundtrack. No, it's not. Well, not the same soundtrack. There, There is a song that is like so much like the same kind of like beats and orchestration yeah that kind of thing like it's like that like that is just so it's it's basically the uh enterprising young men with the doctor strange soundtrack it's like that's the same song (laughs) yeah it's not the same song but it's like the same song yep um so i heard that like immediately um also mars yeah i was like just shut up i was about to talk about that <laughs> i love that moment that was great it's yep. just like it's literally just a 4-4 mars <laughs> yeah he just he, well i mean yeah he's gonna quote mars because it's a roman battle scene yeah what else are you gonna do not a roman battle scene how many fights it's before he goes into the first gladiator match it's in that first battle scene is it yeah it's in both oh, okay it's a similar track i um that was also my dad bought that soundtrack cd after he saw the movie Mm. um when i was like seven and that was my wake-up music for a while when i was in (laughs) elementary school (laughs) um so i know that soundtrack intimately good um so that was that um i so when i'm high i take in so much more and like appreciate things in art so much more than I do mm-hmm. when I'm not. Um, and I was, I watched the first 15 minutes of it three times because there wow. was just, it was so dense with just thematic introduction, mm-hmm. character ideas, like mm-hmm. what they have, just like everything in show. Don't tell. Mm-hmm. like the just from the first frame they introduce maximus's love for life with like his just like watching like brushing his hands in the field mm-hmm. and then it cuts to him just like looking at the destruction of nature mm-hmm. and then there's the bird where he kind of like that catches his attention so it's clearly that like he despises what he does mm-hmm. but he's working towards a goal of living on a plantation with his wife and kid. Yep. And so there's, you immediately get all of this about this character, mm-hmm. which then is just played on the rest of the movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, and just like that, there was the, uh, when he, when he's talking to Julius and then Commodus shows up, you get every single one of their relationships and how they intersect with each other mm-hmm. and how their opinions are like connected or, like uh mirrored mm-hmm. so his opinion of war and conflict and all of this stuff is like uh he doesn't like it but he thinks that he's supposed to and so he has this like image of like oh like this is what we do because it's what we I'm do a big stoic man and then the moment caesar's like 
what is Rome? You just see that shatter between the two of them. They're just like, yeah, this is not, we're doing bad things. Yeah. And then there's Commodus, who is just like the exemplified example of what the face that Caesar puts on. So it's like you have Commodus who represents what everyone sees Caesar as, and mm-hmm. you have Maximus who represents what Caesar is mm-hmm. and really believes. And then like that conflict is like, so you basically see the internal and external conflict of Julius Caesar played out by two different characters throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, and like just the, like every single aspect, like it's, I've talked about how much I love antagonists and how they are with the protagonists. So like mm-hmm. Burr and Hamilton are fantastic protagonist antagonists because of Mr. Burr, sir. Every single thing that makes up their character is either perfectly complemented or uh, supplemented mm-hmm. or just like the opposite. They add to 90 degrees or 180. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Kids have been doing that unit in geometry recently. Oh, good. <laughs> and so I feel that like Maximus and Commodus are the same thing. Like one hates war, but knows like, but has done so much of it. One loves the idea of like conquest, mm-hmm. but hasn't seen a blade in his life. It's like, there's like, he gets in and he's like, have I missed the battle? And it's like, I immediately know that he has never seen battle. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. And though he does like, and they show pretty soon after that, like him training and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So he is theoretically a skilled fighter. Right. But has never applied it in the real world that Maximus yep. has been doing for yep. so long. Uh, you immediately see all the respect that everybody has for Maximus. And yeah. The moment Commodus shows up. And then for the rest of the movie, nobody gives a shit about him. Yeah. Like he's just a piece of trash that no one pays attention to yep um and it's just like all of this stuff that they mirror each other and like mm-hmm. and i 15 minutes they give you so much and it's a pretty <laughs> cool action scene to break out the start of the movie and then the other thing was that like i, I was watching that i'm like not uh, i my conversation with Andrew was a lot longer than my conversation with yours. Mm-hmm. I basically texted you, Andy and Brendan, mm-hmm. uh, that the first battle in, uh, um, uh, gladiator is the same scene as the battle of the bastards. Uh, I think you took to what I meant. Yeah. Brendan was a little confused. Andy was like, are you kidding me? I don't think he's seen gladiator, but like, I think what he thought I meant mm. is that like, it tells it's serves the same purpose. Uh, so like, I was like, cinematically actually like not like thematically or it feels the same like it's the same like um coloring in a way yep same slow motion same kind of like it focuses on a character losing their grips on like getting like overwhelmed by the scope of the battle that kind of stuff i was like and i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm saying that what's his name Miguel Spachnik. Thank you. Couldn't remember it. Uh, I got Denis you. Denis Villeneuve is like in my head. I'm right your now. I'm your little external memory bank out <laughs> here. <laughs> I feel like I have many of those. Kalen's one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Miguel Spachnik took from a very good battle mm-hmm. to uh, as inspiration for designing that yeah. set piece. Uh, but it was just like this is the same fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just like, 
it's such a good it's such a good 15 minutes mm-hmm. and then just like the rest of it is also fantastic yeah but, like it's all just like playing on everything it's set up so well i don't think they really add much to like the like what the movie is no after like the first 20 minutes they set the dominoes in motion and let them fall exactly and like there's so many movies that don't do that that they're Mm -hmm. still trying to tell you things that are the movie is going to be about like into like late act two yeah and like you don't need that if you do a good enough job early on Mm -hmm. and you like because it is literally just these are the characters. Mm-hmm. This is how they interact. This is the setting of yeah. what it is. This is what happens. And it yeah. fills two and a half hours. Yeah. With like, you wouldn't think that something called Gladiator would be as like political and character driven as it is. No. I was expecting it to just be like Gladiator scene after Gladiator. I was like, that's kind of what I was resistant to watching. And I was like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's not going to be as good as it sounds. But it's so f- good (laughs) (laughs) so this was this was an interesting movie at the time because um when it came out people's impression of sword and sandals movies was that they were mostly silly excuses for dudes to get sweaty and swing (laughs) sticks at each other and a lot of layered homoeroticism um and then ridley scott comes in and tells not just a great story but a gripping visceral action movie yeah and I mean, we're still seeing ripoffs to this day yeah. of just that sensibility. You know, yeah. all the Hercules movies we've gotten since then. We got Troy pretty much immediately yeah. after that. Um, and just it it kind of redefined what we could do with the Sword and Sandals epic. Yeah. And no one else has really come up to that level. Um, 300 is a different thing. When was it written? When did the comic come out for 300? Oh, good thing I have all of the world's knowledge at my fingertips. 1998. Book happened just before the movie. Yep. Before uh, Gladiator. Yeah. And the movie came out in like 2000. 2000. Oh, two. No, 300. Oh, 300. It was like 2007. Seven. I've discovered that I've gotten. It wasn't that late. It was either seven or nine. I bet it, I can. Uh... Good thing we have the entirety of the world's knowledge at yeah. our fingertips. I could be vamping to fill the space right now. Seven. Okay. Didn't I say seven? You said five. I, I said seven, and you then said I said seven, yeah. nine, and then I said. I've seven. discovered that I'm really good. I've gotten really good at being able to get within a couple years of the actual date because mm-hmm. I'm starting to like really clearly identify the like vibes of like yeah. half decades yep. so like i know if it's like early 2050 or 2000s mm-hmm. or late 2000s and like that kind of stuff gotten really good at that after 1990 couldn't have been 2009 because watchmen was 2009 yeah that's right. anyway anyway gladiator yeah so it came out that's and a... people were like wow yeah so here's here's an interesting question and this is something also that gets... made me cry at the scene if you haven't seen gladiator I feel like it's something that, like, there's so much that it's, like, you know, it just kind of exists. I know nothing about what actually happened. And there's a thing that happens early in the movie that I don't want to spoil. But it made me actually cry. Good. Because they settled on that for a while. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is an interesting debate that's kind of been batted about pop culture. It's, I guess it's sort of come into the 
cultural understanding of the movie Gladiator that it's one of the more undeserving best pictures or that it is emblematic of how bad movies were in the late 90s, early aughts that it won best picture. And you raving about it and I have raved about it in the past. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're going to kind of disagree with that, but I want I want your take on that. That thought. I feel like. I can't decide on that right now. Okay. I watched it last night. True. And Fair. so I'm still very high on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, Best Picture is so wild that, like, what does it even mean? Like, is it... What is Rome? <laughs> like, what what specifically makes it the Best Picture? Because... If it's the best picture, it should theoretically win every other thing, right? No. Like I like that, but like what what makes it the best picture versus the best of other things? The best football team in a given season doesn't necessarily win all their games. Right, but those are done those that's compared objectively by victories and stuff like True. that. If it's like what is the best picture because if it is truly the like encapsulating best picture it should theoretically have won all the other ones but it doesn't so best picture means something else what i was getting at is like what does that mean it does the most things or not necessarily the most things the best it's the best movie objectively right (laughs) which should mean that's what i'm saying is Mm -hmm. like if it's the best movie Mm -hmm. then it should sweep like maybe it'll lose a couple of the other ones mm-hmm. but like it should sweep elsewhere and that's rarely the case right which and means I... what does best picture mean is it just one that everyone kind of really really likes a lot but it's really technically not that good like if you look at every individual part mm-hmm. individually mm-hmm. which in that case i feel like it deserves it if i cr- scrutinized every single aspect of it i'd find faults in all of it probably yeah but like overall all of it is pretty damn good. And so, like, that's that's what I was kind of... I was going to try to get at. That, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Shape of Water won Best Picture, right? Yeah. And so, like, it won several other of the smaller ones, but it didn't sweep. Right. So, like, when people say, oh, it won Best Picture, but it's, like, not that god, god-tier god fantastic. It's like... Mm-hmm. It's not Return of the King. Yeah. And that one swept. All the big ones. All the big ones. Like, that one is one of those things where it's just really good. But, like, Best Picture, I think, is one of those things that's just, like, it's just a genuinely good all-around, mm-hmm. but not the best. I and agree. So, Moonlight Moonlight was robbed for uh, <laughs> Best Makeup and Hairstyling by Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad won that? Yeah. My God, that was a pity give. Oscar winner. <laughs> Suicide Squad 2016. Oh, man. Oscar nominee Maleficent 2. <laughs> I was going to go with that, but it didn't actually win the award, and it was yeah, better it for my point that Suicide Squad won. Um, but like that, that's what I'm saying is, like, you know, it probably deserved it because it was just a genuinely good all-around movie, mm-hmm. and maybe all the other ones, like, at the time just didn't, like, quite stack up to that, mm-hmm. and maybe it was bad. Like, all the rest of them were, like, it's not as that good, but like, I think it deserved best picture. Yeah, glad it didn't sweep with yeah. the rest of them. No, it won a handful more. Yeah, didn't but... win best score, which is a disappointment to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know that Hans Zimmer has not won an Academy Award for best score since Lion King? I forgot he did Lion King. 
Isn't that wacky? Who does he keep going up against? How many has John Williams won? Uh, about a dozen. Yeah. He's been nominated for more than 50. Yeah. Which is absurd. Yep. <laughs> but he's had probably about the best score for of, of the year since Jaws. Yeah. Which was 1975. Everything he does is just like... And a few best original songs. This is something I was thinking about when watching this, about Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Like, his early stuff is so conventional yeah that like i think he's and my other i was gonna pair him with like him and christopher nolan together Mm -hmm. their early stuff is both are both relatively conventional you've seen memento right yeah like i mean i'm not saying that like they aren't great and like a little bit like memento is very unconventional is it Tells the same story yeah. forwards and backwards. Yeah. It, the, the, well, the main right, story is told backwards. Let's just stick on Hans Zimmer then. Okay. This early stuff is very conventional. Yes. You look at the I stuff agree. now. Yeah. Like, I feel like he just got good and everyone loved him and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want now. And he's just like. <laughs> I've been thinking about this exact same question. I came at, from, came at it from the other angle. I was talking with my parents about the Dune soundtrack, mm-hmm. um, which my dad did not like. Um, he no. didn't. He didn't like the movie overall, but. Come it's on, okay. Dan. He's he's got to be wrong about something. Yeah. Um, but it it seems to me that Hans Zimmer has kind of had three distinct periods. He had his conventional period where he did Lion King and Gladiator and not Pirates of the Caribbean. But but Pirates of the Caribbean. But also Pirates two through four yeah. or two through five. <laughs> um, and it is very much just the conventional orchestral sound. He's a little less theme driven and a little more interested in kind of the weirder instruments sometimes than john williams would be um and he he gets some interesting tone colors with it but yeah he's relatively conventional composer um and then you get to what i'd consider kind of his mid-period stuff dark knight trilogy Mm -hmm. interstellar inception where it's a lot more electronic electronic sounds um and it's less about themes it's more about impressions and moods and then you get to his late period stuff um with dunkirk and dune and blade runner 2049 to make your mind feel things with my sounds it is yeah it's it's (laughs) no longer it's hardly musical now it's Mm -hmm. just an atmosphere eliciting yeah it's and and it's something completely different and Mm -hmm. it's it's very interesting to see this transition as he's like he's narrowing in on what exactly it is that makes your brain do the thing yeah um you make the tick tick go bump bump on your heart. <laughs> yeah, no, Dunkirk, Dunkirk, he kind of perfected it, and then yeah. it got a little bit worse in Blade Runner, and yeah. uh, significantly worse, I think, in Dune. Um, I've listened through that soundtrack a few times now, including uh, I tried to run to it, and it didn't work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really good at. I don't know why I'm feeling right now, but I am feeling. Yeah. I don't know what I'm feeling right now, but boy, am I feeling. That is what people usually say after their third line of Coke. (laughs) That might explain that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yeah. So yeah, Gladiator. Great. Gladiator's great. I love it. Yeah. It's a a nine for me at the moment. mm -hmm. It It might settle down into a solid eight, but right now I would absolutely watch it again. It was probably at one point my favorite movie. Mm. Um, when I was 12, probably. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, it's first R rated movie I get to watch. Yeah. It's not a super hard R as R's go. No, it's not. It's got, I mean, it's violent, but yeah. not like 
ridiculous. It's like it's it's constrained by two thousands effects. Yeah, like there are a few times where it's just like that doesn't that tiger is not real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. Great movie. Oh, also, I'm I'm trying to write things down as much as I could, but it took me a while to do it, and then I'd have to rewind. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that like again at the beginning, this 15 minutes, which is fantastic. Like you have all these general, all these like uh, generic people being like, "General sir," like mm-hmm. uh, pro- as he approaches, and then one distinct man mm-hmm. without a helmet and a bandana, mm-hmm. and he like he like specifically comes up and like greets him. It's like. That man's important. Yep. He was important because you get bloodthirsty rampage Maximus turn around and almost kill him. But you need to know that that guy is important to him. And that's like, that, isn't that like the only part he plays? I don't think he comes back. I don't remember. Um, I haven't seen the movie. But it was just like one of those things. Seven like, years. You know, set up and payoff. Yeah. Of a specific aspect of this story. Mm-hmm. It's just like a one-two punch about a thing that adds to what Maximus is. Mm-hmm perfect cool that's all i got all right it's not all i've got but we're also this is an hour-long episode yep surprised we got that much we i'm exhausted we took tangents within tangents within tangents my eyes are burning to go to sleep right now so shoust we Mm, probably better shoust thanks everyone for listening uh Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and probably all the other places as well, except with the exception of SoundCloud. We're not on SoundCloud. Not on SoundCloud! SoundCloud is no longer friendly territory for us. Oh, makes us angry. Yep. Um, oh, I didn't discuss this with you ahead of time, but we're officially boycotting the Winter Olympics, right? Are we? Yeah. Why? Beijing. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yep. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Cool. Not really, not like I've paid. Not like I was going to watch it anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you could find us on We're doing a better Olympics anyway. Uh, Kaylin and I are going to do like a series of games with each other and just over the thing. It's going to be a cute little thing. She and I are going to compete. Better Olympics. Have you watched Squid Game at all? No. I. This is the first moment that I've kind of got your feeling of like everyone's telling me I need to watch this and I just don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> i'm not i just i'm i get the idea like the fun part of it like why it would be appealing yeah just don't really yeah i don't have the energy yeah got more i've got more intelligent things to watch but it's like a satire man it's not satire it's a commentary it's not funny that's the di- okay. This is the thing that bothers you me all the time. You've seen it. You don't know if it's funny or not. I do know it's not funny. No, because <laughs> satire is supposed to be a joke about reality. It's a right. funny commentary. This is I. I don't know if like you were saying people have said that about it. Like I've heard people say things are satire when it's not. <sighs> Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report mm-hmm. was satire. He was being ironic mm-hmm. as a being funny doing it. Yes. But just saying some anti-trans comic or comment, ironically, when it's not funny, is not satire. You're being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I hate when people misuse what satire is. Yeah. Jonathan Swift is satire because it's supposed to be funny. Like, it's like, it's a little like, you know, like, 
eat the babies because we're poor and we're hungry and we need fewer people. Yeah. That's like, it's, it's not just saying the mean things that you're trying to comment on. No, it's funny, it's but it's a little edgy. Ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. You just <laughs> set me off on something. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, we're nominally on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, at Just Us Losers Pod. On Instagram, that same handle, at Just Us Losers Pod. Uh, we're also on Gmail, JustUsLosersPod at gmail.com. Persuade me that I should watch Squid Game. You will fail, but please try. JustUsLosersPod at gmail.com. Explain to us why Gladiator's a bad movie. Yeah, no, we can we can see if people's opinions are enough to sway our... At least my opinion's pretty well set at this point. Was that a last episode discussion or this episode? No, I think that was this episode. Was this episode? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we got, we got that, uh, look forward to, um, probably I'll get to watch Godfather 2 with my father-in-law, because we watched Godfather last Thanksgiving, and his daughters both kind of fell asleep and hated it, <laughs> so now I guess I have to go get a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> um. Wow, that lasted a whole week. <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, yeah, that's probably everything I got. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.